0: You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. I had the pleasure recently of speaking with Daniel Sperling, who is a legend in our field. The interview was so good, I didn't wanna stop, so I'm gonna split it into two episodes. Here's part one, and be sure to join me for the second episode to hear the rest of this wonderful interview. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. This is Tammy Klein with Transport Energy Strategies. I'm super excited to have with me today, Dr. Dan Sperling. Um, Let me tell you, I mean, I kind of feel like he needs no introduction, um, but let me tell you a little bit about Dan. Dan is a professor of civil engineering and environmental science and policy and founding director of the Institute of Transportation Studies at the University of California Davis. The Institute has over 150 faculty, staff, and student research, and it really is on the forefront um, of, of every topic you could potentially. Imagine everything from uh, low carbon fuels uh, standards, which I kind of feel like Dan has kind of written literally the book um, on that, uh, to uh, fuel economy, to biofuels, uh, to most certainly and most definitely um, electrification. Um, And ITS is really, I think been at the forefront of all of these issues, not just in California, not just in the U.S., um, but around the world and contributing to a lot of good work that's, that's happening um, around the world on all of those different topics. Um, so Dan, I could go on and on about uh, your, <laughs> your bio and your many achievements, um, but I really want to get right into welcoming you to the program. So welcome to the program and right into the, to the questions.
1: Well, thank you. And you're so gracious.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, You caught me on a good day. Um, So, oh gosh, I I hardly know where to start, but maybe um, we can talk a little bit about the three revolutions work. So for the listeners um, who may not be familiar, can you talk a little bit about that, about the work that you've been leading? And and do you see, um, you know, states, cities, um, both, both here in the U S and others, you know, looking at that work, responding to that work, maybe beginning to set some policies, um, around that work. And, and third question is, you know, has, you know, how, how does the pandemic kind of where we are right now in the world, has that affected sort of the, the thinking behind the work? So let's get right into it. Three revolutions.
1: Three revolution. Okay. So big, big topic, (laughs) but, You know, there's been this confusion about all these changes taking place in transportation, which are important, which are less important. So, I actually got together, some people wrote a book called The Three Revolutions. And the three revolutions are are electric vehicles, which is a pretty obvious one. Mm -hmm. The other is sharing, which is perhaps a little less obvious. And the third is automation. And I highlight those three because the goal is, the need is to bring those together, to integrate them. And if you bring them together, we really can transform transportation and create really sustainable, what we call sustainable transportation, sustainable cities. So these, and, and you know some people like to add in some others they talk about connectivity mm-hmm. but that's really just part of connected up with automation it's not a it's not by itself going to yeah. have big changes in our society or our cities okay so the the first one the electric vehicles that's really launched that's really happening that's globally And, you know, it's faltering in a few places, especially in the U.S. But, you know, Europe is about to adopt a requirement for 100% ZEVs, Mm -hmm. zero emission vehicles by 2035. California is actually going to do that even sooner. We have a board, CARB. Uh, So part of my bio that you didn't mention is I'm a board member for the California Air Resources Board. That's
0: correct. And, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, we're the ones that oversee... All of the and adopt all of the most of the climate and air pollution rules and policies in California, which are also adopted by other states. So on June 9th, um, we will be adopting, we will be, the board will be entertaining the proposal to go to 100% ZEVs and we'll be adopting it in August. So that's kind of, that, that one's the most obvious. It's the, clearly transformational and
0: and i think other states will follow they're already following with acc1 so or which is advanced clean cars yeah they're already adopting what 15 16 17 states i do see them following acc2 so the the e part of our you know the e part of the revolutions i think we already see that happening right
1: and the change in in the u.s is going to happen because of California and the other states. The yeah, feds are really lagging behind. And, you know, it's going to be get to a point where there's so many states and so much of the market has gone zero emission that the feds and the industry will say, okay, we get yeah. it, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll tag along. Yeah. Um, and so, and by the way, we're talking this light duty. The, there's a parallel happening with the uh, truck, mm-hmm. heavy That's duty. That's right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, California CARB, we adopted a rule two years ago, requiring that in starting in 2024, that an increasing number of truck sales also be zero emission. And that that goes up through 2035 and 70, it requires that 70% of most truck categories be zero emission in 2035. And we're going to be extending that shortly getting it up to 100% sometime yeah. around 2040.
0: And we know states are also going to follow the advanced clean trucking program, which is the program that you're you're talking about. So we we see more and more states beginning to announce the intention to to follow that. So it does seem like yes, perhaps there's maybe some lagging behind China, maybe some lagging behind Europe. But I think the efforts of California and the other states, I I almost kind of think that the federal government, and I don't want to say irrelevant, but, you know, there are things that the government can can do. But I think it will be the the states that do more, I think, in some sense, to push the the electrification part of the three revolutions rather than or in the absence of, let's put it that way, federal federal action.
1: Yeah, it's so clear that that's the case. (laughs) You know, President Biden did issue an executive order saying he wanted 50% of sales to be electric or zero emitting by 2030, but there's no regulations, there's no incentives, there's nothing behind it. So it's a nice aspiration. But (laughs) California and these other states are actually adopting the rules and, you know, going, and they're also adopting the, creating the incentives and the investment in infrastructure, charging infrastructure to go along with it. So the one thing the feds are doing is they are putting some money into charging infrastructure.
0: Right. But
1: very Which weak Yeah. So everything necessary.
0: else. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so, that's, yeah. So, so that's the electric vehicle story. Right. And then we have the automation story. So there's been a lot of hype on automated vehicles, autonomous vehicles. And actually, in, when I wrote, the book on the three revolutions i wrote it in 2017 it was published in 2018 and even at that time i was talking about all the hype and the hype has continued but i think it's dissipated a little bit and now there is more questioning is it real when's it going to happen
0: yes
1: and i guess I, I look at it from two different perspectives is that the investment by industry is continuing some of the leading companies They continue to improve the technology. They're continuing to pour billions of dollars into this. So there's a real commitment and and it's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. The question is how fast and exactly how. And the the question of exactly how is a really critical one because there's basically two paths. One is it could be, these could just replace our conventional vehicles You know, we just own them, you know, we park them in our garage Mm -hmm. and and we just use them. Now, that scenario is what I describe as the hell scenario. (laughs) And, you know, perhaps it's a little overstated to say that. But what the reason behind that is that if people own it, they're going to be using these vehicles much more than their conventional manually operated vehicles, because you just think about it, you can sleep in the car, you can work in the car, you can text, you can watch movies. And so there's nothing holding you back from spending more time in the vehicle. You know, in transportation, we you know look at the cost of travel time, like how much uh, we assign a cost to people. But in this case, there's not much cost because you're using that time in a very productive way. So people will live like I'm in California. People live up at Lake Tahoe and the mountains. Right. And get in the car and go three hours to get to the, you know, San Francisco. You know, who cares? You know, they sit in there, they're doing work, they're reading, reading, you know, watching movies and so on. Okay. So. All the study, and we've done a lot of research at UC Davis, and others have too. And, you know, we're talking about at least uh, probably a doubling of vehicle miles through that scenario. Right. The other scenario.
0: That is hell.
1: This is, (laughs) now we're moving to heaven. (laughs) Okay, good. And I'll say this other scenario, I see it as the only credible strategy for making our our cities and our transportation truly sustainable coupled with electrification and that is that these automated vehicles would not be owned by us individuals but would be owned by mobility service companies you know think an uber type company mm-hmm. and the and coupled with that is that they would feature sharing Shared rides in it. In other words, there'd be more than a single occupant, single passenger, or more than even a zero occupant. So, actually, with the personally owned vehicles, there's going to be a lot of zero occupant uh, miles accumulated because you know, you send the yeah, they'll be driving the, around.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, you said,
1: like, uh-huh. why pay for parking in San Francisco, right? right. Send it back home, right? <laughs> okay, so the shared part of it is really critical because the way it would work is it's like what Uber pool and Lyft line uh, used to be. And that is, but it's automated. So you don't have the driver and so it reduces the cost. And if you have enough people doing it, it's a really efficient process. And there would be, you know, the detours would be minimal and the cost would go way down. So now we have a situation. So this is really attractive from an equity a social justice Mm -hmm. perspective, because now we can provide service to many more people. So our, you know, to back up a second, we've created this car-centric transportation system. It started in LA, spread to California, spread to the US, spread to the world. And, you know, it's provided tremendous value and benefit to many people, but it's also marginalized Huge numbers of people, huge swaths swaths of our population. Yeah, you know, people that it's it, and it's not only people that don't have money; it's people that are physically disabled, it's people that are old, people that are young.
0: Yeah, highways have chopped off communities and cut through communities, and there's a there's lots of, of yeah the, writing about that at this point. The the impact of our national highway system on On communities.
1: Exactly. It's had some really negative effects on many people. So now we're talking about okay, so we're not going to fix where the freeways are, at least not not with this automation
0: uh,
1: scenario. But what it's doing is it is providing low cost transportation to all these people, to all the people that have been marginalized. And, you know, if you think, you know, we think about mass transit and you know, in New York City, in San Francisco, downtown, mass transit works very well, very efficient. But if you look at the whole U.S. overall, mass transit accounts for two, less than 2% of passenger travel, less than 2%. And actually, it's much less than that now because of the pandemic and people reluctant to go back. But before the pandemic, it was it was close to 2%. And there's many, many more people than that that have been marginalized. Mm -hmm. So now we create a system that serves a lot more people that has, and it's electric, so it's zero emission, or it could be hydrogen, so it's zero emission. And it also requires much less parking space, less road space. So it reduces the cost of our road infrastructure. It creates more space in our cities because now we don't have to devote all that space to parking and roads. So it really is a heaven scenario. Now that the challenge, okay, so the problem is so, and that's combined with sharing. Right. So that was implied in this, the third revolution. So the sharing has been really suffering the last <laughs> couple of years through the pandemic. People right. don't want, people don't want to share. Um, you know, they're starting to come back, you know, but transit use is way down. Uh, you know, yeah. air, air travel is down, uh, Uber and Lyft have gotten rid of their pooling services and hopefully we'll be bringing it back. Um,
0: do you see sharing? Um, do you see sharing coming back as we? I don't know if we want to say emerge from the pandemic because I think we've all declared ourselves done with it. Although <laughs> I don't think it's done with us. But but do you see as as maybe more normalcy returns to 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 people's lives? Do you see sharing as sort of back in the the equation?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, one way of looking at it, you look at air travel air travel is coming back very strong. Oh,
0: yes, absolutely.
1: And that is, I mean, you know, you talk about being stuck next to one, someone close for a long time. (laughs) Right. So the point of that is that everyone has a price. It's kind of, you know, crass to say that, but everyone has a price. So with air travel, what's the alternative? If you want to go visit someone or go, go somewhere, then this is you know there's not any good options if you're going more than a few hundred miles okay so people do it and i think the same thing has to happen with surface transportation we have to make and this is where policy comes in so i've yeah. become a real policy wonk in my uh, <laughs> later in my older years just because you know there's we need much more focus on how do we make good policy yeah and so this is a case where we need policy to encourage sharing and discourage single-occupant vehicles, um, zero-occupant vehicles, single-passenger services, and and we can do that. You know, it's you know we know how to do that, and lots of places in the world do that.
0: Do you um, think? Do you see California through CARB or 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 also other states? moving in that direction, because I think that's the only thing that's really going to, I mean, yes, you'll have electric um, vehicles. Yes. There will be targets to me. Yes. There will be more model um, availability, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, you still sort of have congestion, um, even with, even if you have a hundred percent, electric vehicle, uh, sales and eventually penetration, you still have uh, congestion as an issue. Um, but also, you know, yeah, like the, the driving, the, the, you know, the, you know, the habitual tendency toward, toward driving. In, um, I just don't see unless you find policies that either incentivize drivers away. And I mean, really incentivize them into, into sharing or you, Um, Or you set policies that flat out, you know, find ways to remove vehicles from the roads. I mean, kind of not allowing people to, to, to drive. I mean, that's a real, it's like the, it's like, it's the policy frontier that (laughs) probably has to happen. um, But is a real tough one to take on. It's like gas taxes. like, nobody wants to touch, touch that, but you kind of do to, to get the behavior going the way, you know, that, that you need to, to get, uh, you know, to get greenhouse gas emission reductions, to improve air quality, to improve public health. What, what's your view about that?
1: Um, we, so it's, a tough one. so it's important. We do this because, you know, all these benefits you just said, Tammy, they're so important, you know, in terms of quality of life, our environment equity. So. I think the answer is we do this gently and slowly <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, cause there will, would be a backlash, mm-hmm. you know, even, you know, even talking about reducing vehicle miles, travel, reducing vehicle uses, even in California, that's a tough sell Yeah, just by itself. So we have to work it in gently in different ways. And, and the reality yeah. is a lot of this responsibility falls on the local governments you know, the cities and the counties, you know, because these this is local issue. And, you know, there's, there's some things the federal government too, can do, you know, for share. We're talking about sharing. There's some things the federal government can do, some things the state government, but a lot of it's going to be local. So it's going to be me- metropolitan areas making decisions. And um it's just like, you know, a lot of cities, they do have the congestion is horrible. Mm-hmm. Right, the cost of infrastructure is monumental,
0: yeah,
1: and it's disruptive, and you know no one likes it. So, I think you know there's opportunities to start gently moving in that direction, and in these cities, you know Washington D.C., Los Angeles, San Francisco, you know New York, Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia. You know the the cities that are experiencing the most congestion and are burdened by these costs, you know, uh, it's both travel time, you know, it's a, just, there's the cost, the economic cost, but there's the cost of people just sitting in their car. Yeah. right. No one likes that. Right. No. And so, you know, we, we, we have to figure this out. So, you know, it's not really urgent right now, but it will become urgent when we have these automated vehicle services, then it's going to be urgent because, it's going to make it much much worse when we get to that we don't want that hell scenario so
0: i want to ask you one last question before we before we move on and that is how do you see the the you know the the technology the automated technology um, you know evolving i mean there've been some real um, fits and starts you know companies have already kind of come and gone as it, as it were you know in in the space so, what's your your time horizon for when we'll really start to see more of a proliferation of um, you know the automated vehicles or automated electric vehicles? Since there's a natural technology fit there.
1: Yeah, actually, California has a law that the car the automated cars must be electric. <laughs> um, so it's going to start slow. Um, you know, in area we what we refer to as geo fenced areas. So that means they can operate in a certain area. So Waymo, which is the Google company, mm-hmm. which many so Google and Cruise, which is part of General Motors, are considered the two leaders. And perhaps next is a company called Zooks, which is bought up by Amazon. So basically, you have Google, uh, uh, General Motors and Amazon, the leading company. So they have a lot of money, a lot of resources to do it. So anyway, so Waymo, which is Google, started in Arizona. They had this geofenced area near Phoenix, and they've been offering services uh, to people you know, for two or three years now. And now in San Francisco, uh, Waymo and Cruise have gotten permission to actually offer it Services in San Francisco. And so when they did in Phoenix, it was a geo-fenced area, it was about 10 miles by 15 miles. But you know, it was traffic is easy. There's hardly any bicyclists, there's hardly any pedestrians. So it was pretty easy to do it there. San Francisco's a whole nother ball game, right?
0: Yes, it's
1: like it's chaos on mm-hmm. the streets in San Francisco. So it's really so they feel these companies feel. Like they can do it and they're gonna do it without anyone in the driver's seat, and in some cases without anyone even in the cars uh, and providing these automated services. They're just starting up uh, very shortly in San Francisco. So I think what's gonna happen is there's gonna be these geo-fenced areas, you know, you map the hell out of it, you know, uh-huh. that area, you get the, you know, and so the cars are well conditioned, prepared for it, and you slowly expand. That geofenced area out over time. So that means, from a consumer, from a rider, if you're within that zone and your destination is within that zone, then when you called in for the service, they would send you an automated car. And so I think it's going to be as the companies get more confidence, as policymakers become more comfortable, as consumers become more comfortable, it'll gradually expand out. So I think. I'd say by 2030, we should be seeing, you know, some pretty significant use of these uh, um, these automated services. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really inevitable. It's you know it just get you know the artificial intelligence gets better and better. You know the issue here, the con- the you know the problem is that if you take a a person. Who's not drinking, not tired, attentive, then they do a great job. Mm-hmm. And and this technology is not going to do better than them. Right. You know, under hardly, you know, maybe in a few circumstances, but mostly not. Yeah. But
0: not not that many of us like that out there. I'd I, I like to point yeah. out. <laughs> exactly. Right. So
1: it's not just us as the drivers, you know, it's the other person, right? Yeah. So even if we think we're so great ourselves, which people tend to think they're great drivers, <laughs> uh, you know, all the surveys show that, you know. The greater
0: the driver you think you are, probably the worse you are. It's probably like an inverse converse <laughs> sort of thing.
1: Yeah. It, could, it could be. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So, but, you know, there's all these conditions, You know, people driving at night, that people have been drinking, mm-hmm. people are texting, you know, not attentive. And so, Probably today in most circumstances, an automated vehicle on average would be better, mm-hmm. but we're not willing to accept that, you know? And so the, there's this question of what's the threshold? How good does it have to be? Because it's never going to be absolutely perfect, but we humans are certainly far from perfect, <laughs> right?
0: I will grant you that. Yes. <laughs>
1: And, and so part of it becomes, you know, there's questions about how does the insurance and liability work, you know, the confidence of the companies, um, you know, local governments, you know, banning it because they think they're not safe enough. And then if there is a crash and something, you know, does go wrong, then what are the repercussions of that? And so that's why it's going to be slow. And there's going to be, everyone's going to be moving slow on this, but it is going to happen. And the technology is just getting better and better. Uh, The sensing technologies and the technology is getting cheaper too, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's inevitable. And that's why I'm a great proponent of getting these policies in place, starting slowly and gently that reward pooling and sharing and disincentivize You know, single occupant travel. And, you know, maybe we start at an airport, you know, we do it at airports, we do it in downtowns, and there's lots of little ways to do that. And so that's, that really is the path, the pathway forward.
0: Like I said in the beginning, I enjoyed our interview so much that I wanted to save the rest for our next show. Be sure to catch us on the next episode to hear Dr. Sperling talk with us about the future of fuels, charging, and the entire industry and why he sees now as the time of change. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.